You're not afraid of the dark, are you? Don't be afraid. Come with me. on the hill, filled with thrills and chills. Turn off the lights and light a candle. Pull up a seat if you will. You are listening to Lights Out Radio. From the foothills of East Tennessee, just a stone's throw away from the Great Smoky Mountain National Park, you are listening to Lights Out Radio, and I'm Justin, your host with the most, the ghost with the toast. How's everybody doing tonight? Yeah. This is the first episode, and I'm so excited. Uh, Thank you for checking me out. Thank you for checking the show out. Um, You could be anywhere in the world, but you're here with me. Uh, And I'm truly thankful for that. So I just want to say good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, salutations, how you doing? Boom. Man, this is a beautiful thing. Um, Like I said, this is the first episode, and I am super excited about this, you guys. Um, I grew up listening to Art Bell a lot, uh, the Coast to Coast AM show. And that's what kind of sparked and drove this dream of mine. Uh, Which it kind of is. I mean, it's a part-time thing, you know, but it's kind of a dream come true because I've been into, you know, the supernatural, ghost, spiritual, unknown, mysterious, whatever you want to call it. Um, I've been into this stuff for a while. And so I did a couple takes and it just, it was sounding flat. And then I realized and thought to myself, like, yo, you're trying to be like Art Bell way too much. And that's when I thought, like, Art was a great dude. He had a great show. But I'm not him. So it just sounded fake, I guess would be the word. I'm not sure. Um, I realized, you know, I'm a little more brazen. I'm a little more, you know, rough around the edges than Art was. So I just got to accept that and roll with it. So that's what I'm planning on doing. And hopefully providing you guys with an entertaining educational, eye-opening, mind-blowing experience in the process. Now, with that being said, if you do hear any foul language, if you're offended by any kind of swearing or anything like that, I want you to look at the other side of the coin. We are talking about demons and serial killers and demonic possessions and ghosties and ghoulies and creatures of the night. So the occasional swear word or, or foul language shouldn't really be that tough of a pill to swallow. And on the other side of that, I don't believe that any kind of swearing or foul language diminishes my intelligence or undermines it in any way, shape, or form. So now that we got that kind of disclaimer out of the way, I'm super stoked about this radio show. Eventually, we're going to be taking live calls on the air. It is going to be a live show. 
Uh, I already have a few special guests lined up ready to talk about some crazy stuff. So that should be really cool. And also just to give you guys kind of a quick layout. So during the week is going to be kind of a general topic, uh, Q&A, current events kind of thing. And then Saturdays, it's its own animal. It's going to be called Serial Killer Saturdays, which, I mean, obviously is exactly what it claims to be. It's going to be solely based on serial killers. So if that's something that floats your boat or finds your lost remote, go ahead and feel free to check that out. Stay tuned for that one. Also, I would like to take a quick second to thank my boy over at Splatterhouse Studios. They do a lot of horror stuff, horror decor kind of thing. Um, I picked up a really nice Candyman piece from him. Oh, it's super sweet. I'm going to show him some pictures in here. Uh, really intricate, nice details, really good piece for any horror collector. I also picked up the Jason Voorhees Friday the 13th Camp Crystal Lake uh, nightlight kind of piece. Oh, it's beautiful. Gorgeous. Great detail. So if you're ever looking for any kind of specialty decor, um, go hit up my boy over at Splatterhouse Studios. He has great products, excellent customer service. Thank you so much, brother. Still love the pieces. Keep doing your thing, man. Stay spooky, brother. Do your thing. And now that we've kind of covered all of that, I would just like to get into really quickly on why I chose this topic as my first episode. So I had heard through the grapevine that the new Conjuring movie that comes out in September, uh, Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It, I had heard that it was about the Bill Ramsey case that Ed and Lorraine Warren had investigated over in London. So I kind of wanted to get a heads up on the movie. Uh, I looked at every source I could, came across every different account, every different version, all the different details. And the story is really quite amazing. It's really creepy, really eerie. And honestly, I was happy that I had a chance to learn about it. And I'm going to be completely honest with you folks. I've always kind of been in awe of the werewolf legend, mythology, lore, whatever you want to call it. I mean, just the ability to change into the superhuman beast that possessed so much speed and agility and power, just raw power. I mean, it's a pretty amazing thought. Who wouldn't want to be able to possess those kind of abilities, you know what I mean? And then a couple weeks later, there was kind of like a heavy-handed punch to the junk. We had gotten a news story on our local news station about a boy in Kentucky who had been attacked and killed by a, quote, canine-like animal, end quote. And, I mean, from the first time I saw that story on the news before I went to work, something just didn't feel right about it. You know what I mean? You ever get that feeling? Like, the details weren't right. The interview with the police wasn't right. The way it was reported wasn't right. The lack of follow-up. Like, nothing just felt right about it. And then within a month or two's time, we had a similar story out of Georgia, we had another similar story out of North Carolina, and it just seemed too coincidental to me. So I dove a little deeper and did what any inquisitive, curious person would do. I looked at all the details, tried to find every source I could about it, and that leads us to the first episode of Lights Out Radio. Now, because there are children involved, people's loved ones, look, I'm a father too, alright? I got two kids, I understand completely. I am not, I'm going to repeat this, I am not trying to make any kind of a claim or fame or any of that damn shit. 
off of your pain and sorrow. I'm really not. I have nothing but the fullest of sympathies for you. What I'm trying to do is hopefully raise some awareness. Maybe we can get some kind of understanding of what is actually going on. Because like I said, these are way too coincidental to not be connected, in my humble opinion. And secondly, maybe this radio show can reach out to somebody who actually knows what's going on. Maybe they can get you some kind of closure. I mean, I haven't seen anything in the news. It just kind of disappeared and stopped talking about it. Maybe they kept it private. Maybe you already know exactly what's going on. I'm not sure. But if you do know, please feel free to reach out to me because I would love to know the conclusion of these stories. They have honestly kept me awake a little bit at night. But once again, for this story, for any story, for any future episodes, I am not here to make any kind of a claim or fame or money off of anybody's pain and suffering. That's not who I am. That's not what I do. I just want to get the stories out there. That way people can kind of piece things together or maybe reach people that actually know what's going on and catch some attention. And that's that. And that's all I'm going to say about it. So let's cut to our first commercial break. And then when we return, episode one of Lights Out Radio. And welcome back, everybody. You are listening to Lights Out Radio. And I'm your host, Justin. We're going to jump right back into this. So the story I touched on a little bit earlier about the boy in Kentucky Uh, The one that really kind of set everything in motion. We're going to jump right into that. So Tuesday, February 18th of 2020, a 13-year-old boy, Corey Godsey, rest easy with the angels, young man, be blessed. He was found dead by police on a mountainside in Emmalina, which is in Knott County, Kentucky. It's about 200 miles southeast of Louisville on Montgomery Creek Road. Now, keep in mind, this is near Carr Creek State Park, and they say they have mild wildlife, turkeys, raccoons, skunks, possums, stuff like that. So just keep that in mind. Now, a woman who just lives right up the road from the scene of the attack said that she heard a woman screaming for help and for someone to call 911. And police say that the boy was staying at a relative's house, but was not new to the area, and that also the original 911 call described a canine-like animal. Even in their initial reports, they say that the 911 call reported it to be a canine, but police have been unable to confirm the animal responsible for the attack on the young boy. Which sounds really crazy to me, but we're going to get back and finish the story, and then I'll do my little side notes. So the boy's body was discovered 300 to 400 feet up this mountainside. We'll get to that in a minute. Now, they didn't find him for a while, they said, because the weather was bad. They said they were getting rain, some storms were moving in, stuff like that. And the original report actually states the child's body was discovered 300 feet up the hillside behind the residence and rain and dark conditions initially made him difficult to find. Now, the people that responded, they were the Kentucky State Police and the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife. And the very next morning, which was a Wednesday morning, The autopsy was performed at the state medical examiner's office in Frankfurt, and they determined the cause of death to be from injuries consistent with an animal attack. Although they also stated that they weren't able to identify what type of animal it was, but they were still investigating. And the officer in charge was Trooper Jody Sims, 
with the Kentucky State Police Post 13 in Perry County said that their initial determination was this was caused by injuries consistent with an animal attack. However, at this point, there is no way they can determine what the animal was. There are still questions as to what animal it may have been. Even though the county coroner told the local news station that he was called to the scene of a suspected canine attack involving a child. Now, never mind the fact that, at least to me, it seems like everybody involved is just straight up contradicting each other. But let's go back to Trooper Jody Sims. They were talking about the boy being carried up the mountainside behind the house. He said, one person I thought said several hundred feet, three to four hundred feet up the hill. You know, it was very steep, you know, so it was a pretty good distance. He said, he also said, it's a difficult thing to go through. You know, part of being a professional in law enforcement or as a first responder, you got to take care of business first. And you kind of got to deal with that yourself too, to some degree. But obviously the biggest focus has to be the family at this time. With the result of what happened to this child yesterday, that's as bad as it can get, he says. Now to me, that kind of sounds like, well, maybe I'm wrong, I appreciate the sentiment and all that, but to me that sounds like, you know, the dodge and distract tactic. Like, yeah, this kid, 13-year-old boy, was carried three to 400 feet up this mountainside behind this house by an animal. We don't know what it is, but let me just talk about how hard my job is for a minute kind of thing. You know what I mean? It just seems like dodge and distraction. And Stady Sims also goes on to say, something happened in this community in Emelina and Knott County. We just urge people to be very cognizant of their surroundings. Be careful about the things you have around your home. Troopers in the area have warned people to remain hypervigilant, but added that there is no immediate threat to the community. Now, what the hell kind of bullshit is that? So let's think about this for a minute, guys. So we're talking about a 13-year-old boy here. Now, even the smallest 13-year-old boys really aren't that small when you're thinking in the terms of an animal dragging him three to 400 feet up a steep mountainside. That is a threat to the community if I've ever fucking heard one. And another thing I really don't understand about this story. Now, I live probably about an hour, two hours south of where this happened. I live in Tennessee. I know country people, okay? And number one, country people look after each other, all right? That's one big thing I learned when I moved to the south. People down here, especially in the mountain communities, in the smaller communities, people look after each other. Community really means something. So for one, the people I know at least, all the country people I know, if this were to happen around here, people would be loaded up, armed to the teeth, riding around looking for this thing. There would be rifles, shotguns, handguns pointed everywhere looking for this thing. It just drug a 13-year-old kid three to 400 feet up a mountainside. So pardon my back if you're going to get on the news and say there is no threat to the community, okay? And the most recent article I can find on this story is dated February 26th, about a week after this happened. All it says is that more tests are being done at the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife spot in Lexington. That's it. The story just drops off. There's no conclusion, no follow-up, no, hey, this is what it was. None of that, which is crazy to me because it honestly kept me up extra some nights just wondering about this kid because my own son is about the same age and all I could think about was, 
what if that was my boy? You know what I mean? How would I like them handling this like this? How would I like no answers? You know what I mean? It's just crazy to me. And I feel so bad for his family, for his loved ones. It's so sad. If you guys want to try to help them out in any way or, you know, show them some love and support, I'll post one of the articles on my page. You can also find the story online pretty easily, so you should have no problems. There should be no worries there. And the next story I'm going to jump into actually took place three days prior to that one. This is in North Carolina, Friday, February 15th, 2020, this year. At 5.47 a.m., police were called to Indian Run Road, where they found 77-year-old Brenda Hamilton clinging to life. She was then rushed to a nearby hospital where she was in critical condition before succumbing to her severe injuries. Her death was announced on Monday. And according to the press release from the sheriff's office, North Carolina Wildlife Resource Commission officers, as well as biologists, also responded to the scene in hopes of determining what kind of animal attacked her. They said, at this time, preliminary DNA testing facilitated by a North Carolina wildlife biologist has eliminated any wild animals indigenous to the area. Now that's from the, uh, the police press release. That same press release also says preliminary DNA testing found canine DNA on Hamilton's clothing. However, it cannot be determined whether it was a domestic dog or a wild animal. The testing doesn't differentiate between wild canines such as a wolf or coyote. That's according to the county sheriff's office. The press release also states that sheriff's investigators are collecting DNA from domestic canines in the area for further testing. Now, I haven't been able to find another article on this since the end of February, so I have seen no any kind of evidence of testing or any kind of conclusions of testing or anything like that. I just really hope her family and her loved ones find peace and comfort, and I hope one day, hopefully sooner rather than later, they find some closure. They find out what happened. Now, Miss Brenda, she was a high school teacher. She taught at a local Christian academy in uh, Pentigo. North Carolina. It's not far from uh, Pamlico Sound off of coastal North Carolina. It's like a population of like 200 people, right? So either way, I just hope her family and loved ones find peace and comfort and may you rest easy with the angels, Miss Brenda. Now this last story I'm about to give you has to do with 62-year-old Dr. Nancy Shaw. It takes place in Lyons, Georgia, population of about 4,200 people, and it's southeast of Atlanta, and it's between Macon, Georgia, and Savannah, Georgia. Now the report states that on the morning of May 8th at about 3 a.m., officers were driving down Skyline Boulevard and became suspicious when they saw a car facing the wrong way on the wrong side of the road with its driver's door open and the engine still running. Now according to Lyons Police Chief Wesley Walker, when an officer saw that the car was running and its door was open, they got out of the patrol car to investigate and found a female that was deceased in a ditch on the other side of the road. Also, according to Lyons PD, an autopsy confirmed that the doctor's death was a result of an animal attack and gave no further details, but did state police are trying to find the roaming beasts. And then this is the part of the story that kind of makes my eyes twitch a little bit. It says, according to the Lyons Police Department, the dogs possibly involved in the incident were identified and seized on May 8th, the same day that this happened but no charges were made against the owner of the dogs. Now let's think about this for a minute. So you have two conflicting stories and articles days apart, but one of them says that you found the dogs, 
You identified the dogs, then seized the dogs, and didn't file any charges on the owners. Now, like I said, this is a population town of about 4,200 people. This was a doctor, okay? And it also in the article states that she checked up on the police all the time, went to the police department, made sure they were okay, stopped by the uh, animal shelters all the time, made sure everything was okay there. So she got around in the community, you know what I mean? So if anything were to happen to this lady in such a small town, I would think at least, at the very least, charges would be filed against the owners of the dogs, whether it be negligence, something, you know what I mean? And then the fact that this happened at 3 a.m., well, the cops found her at 3 a.m., and no dogs were in sight. How did they identify the dogs the same day? You know what I mean? Especially if somebody owned the dogs. They weren't just a pack of wild dogs running around like a lot of the articles claim. So it just makes no sense to me. It's really conflicting. And like I say to all the other ones, I wish nothing but peace and comfort for her loved ones and for her family. And this is just really a shame that these stories conclude in this way. And on that note, we're going to jump to our next commercial break. But when we return, we're going to come back to the main slice of pie, the main entree, the main course. We're going to get to the story of Bill Ramsey. It was a story investigated by Ed and Lorraine Warren over in England. You're not going to want to miss it. Stay tuned for Lights Out Radio. Yeah. Welcome back to Lights Out Radio, and I'm Justin, your host. Now, this story has been come to be known as the Werewolf of London, the Werewolf of South End over in England. It's a suburb of London, and it has to do with a man by the name of William Ramsey or Bill Ramsey, as the world has come to know him. And whatever had been plaguing this guy had been affecting him from a young age. There's a lot of people that describe his uh, behavior at times as animal-like, and that normally these events would be accompanied by an unusual foul smell. And one of the earliest occurrences, according to Bill's parents, and according to Bill himself, happened when he was nine years old. Now Bill describes it as being a very warm summer's evening, and that there was a terrible stench in the air, and that out of nowhere, he just flies into this horrendous rage. And his parents come outside to see what the hell is going on, and he proceeds to rip a post that was solidified in concrete. Now, he's, he describes it as a three-by-three three post that was solidified in the garden in concrete, ripped it out of the ground as a nine-year-old, and starts smashing it on the ground in front of his parents. Now, he goes on to say that he thought maybe this was just a childhood, isolated incident. He grew up, you know, he got married, he had kids, but he said there was always this violence inside of him, this animalistic tendency to just wreak havoc that he tried to keep a secret. It's also reported that he would wake up from these vivid nightmares, growling and snarling and panting like an animal, much to the worry and, and fear of the, his family around him, you know what I mean? And Bill goes on to say that these dreams and nightmares kind of subsided and ended around 1967, in which he thought, you know, whatever had been going on was behind him. Only his future was in front of him. Whatever the evil or or whatever it was, was behind him because the nightmares just kind of stopped. But in 1983, Bill went out with a group of buddies drinking, and all of a sudden while he's drinking at the bar, you know, he's having a good time with his friends, he claims that a icy, sudden, icy, cold sweat just swept over him, and he started to feel sick. So he goes to the bathroom, and he looks in the mirror, and when he looked in the mirror, he said that he saw a wolf staring back at him. 
So obviously, right, he's freaked out by the whole thing. So he goes back out. He says, hey, guys, you know, he wants to go home. So we asked his buddies to give him a ride home. Now, on the ride home, it's reported that he starts snarling wildly and even turns to the friend next to him and tries to bite his leg. So the driver pulls over. You know, his friends gang up on him to restrain him. They say that it takes all of them because he's displaying such superhuman kind of freakish strength. They restrain him. They hold him down. They calm him down. He finally comes to, and that was the end of the night. You know what I mean? What a crazy night to have. I would not like to party with that guy. And then later when they ask him about it, he, he claims to know nothing, to remember nothing, anything about that night. So let's jump forward to Christmas time, December, you know, 1983. Bill said he starts feeling these just strong, sharp, horrible chest pains and just pouring, dripping sweat, like cold sweat from his upper body. And he thinks that it's the beginning of, you know, a major heart attack. So he makes his way to the emergency room of the South End Hospital where he's put on a gurney and, you know, prepped for examination where he reports again starting to feel the cold chill and the cold sweat start coming over him. And at this time, a nurse is leaning over him to, you know, examine him and check him out. And he just lets out a huge roar and starts lashing out at this nurse with his teeth bared and then bites her arm and then gets up and just starts throwing around chairs and furniture, basically ransacking the hospital. And then he scurries into a corner where he just growls and paces like an animal. So the cops show up, and due to his immense strength, once again, it takes the cops and hospital staff both to get this guy on a gurney and sedate him with tranquilizers. Now, witnesses of the event claimed in the police reports that he appeared totally animalistic in nature at the time, with his hands curled up like he had claws, growling, snarling, snapping his teeth like he was biting at people. And one of the police officers that had actually helped restrain him said that his eyes looked feral and wolf-like. So the cops take the sedated man to Runwill Mental Hospital, where the drugs wear off, he comes to, he has no idea, no recollection of what happened, and no idea why he's in the mental hospital. Now, the psychiatrists there say that he needs to stay and go under further testing and further examinations, but since he voluntarily, technically, checked himself into the hospital, that he could leave. So that's what he does. He goes home exhausted and confused. And a month later, in January 1984, Bill goes to visit his mother, and on his way back home, he starts to recognize the familiar symptoms that something's about to happen. So he rushes to the emergency room of the same hospital, but by the time he arrives, the beastly animalistic nature had already consumed him. So a nurse tells him to hold on and wait for a doctor, where Bill allegedly lashes out at her and throws her to the ground and then proceeds to pounce on an orderly choking him and trying to bite him so the police show up to what they describe as a snarling beast and apparently he hurt one of them so badly that the officer had to stay in the hospital for four days and the cops would later claim that it took four of them to restrain him and put him in handcuffs but they didn't think the handcuffs were going to hold him because he was a lot stronger than his physical stature suggested and keep in mind, Ed Warren described him as being about 5'7 and about 150 pounds. So now they got him, they're interrogating him, they're asking him questions. And once again, he claims to have no recollection of 
any of the events that just happened. So the officers suggest that, hey, maybe you should check yourself into a mental hospital. He declines and goes on his merry way. Which brings us to the night of July 22nd, 1987. So Bill just gets off work. He goes to the White Horse Inn to have a couple drinks, relax after work. He ends up meeting up with a couple friends there. They have some drinks, have some laughs. Bill's a little drunk, so he's trying to take the back roads home to avoid the cops and stuff. And then he comes across this lone prostitute. Now, for whatever reason, he claims that he was making a citizen's arrest, right? So he picks up this prostitute. He tells her to get in. She thinks he's a trick, so she's about to make some money. So she gets in, and then she starts getting a weird vibe about it. And as they're coming up, she jumps out of the car and takes off towards the police station that's very close by. Now, Bill gets out and starts running after her. Now, one of the cops takes the prostitute and takes her inside, and the other cop is standing outside talking to Bill. So he's standing outside the South End Police Station talking to one of the officers where he demands that they lock him up for the safety of himself and for the public. The officers looking further into Bill, they couldn't find any real criminal history, so they were reluctant to arrest him for no real reason. And then all of a sudden, Bill begins to growl and snarl like a rabid animal. He grabs the six-foot-tall duty sergeant Terry Fisher by the throat, hoists him up in the air by his throat, and then tosses him across the parking lot. They say another officer was scratched during the altercation, and it ultimately took six men to finally restrain Bill, who had not gone down without a struggle, reportedly throwing the officers, like they put in their report, like matchsticks, quote-unquote matchsticks, across the police station parking lot. So Bill is locked up in a cell. The officers begin to recover from the struggle, only to hear a loud bang coming from within the cell block. Bill, incredibly, had smashed through the reinforced hatch in his cell door with his head and arms stuck through. Tony Belford, one of the officers, stated, I've never seen anything like it before or ever since. To see a human being doing things like that. Police had to sedate Bill. He required a dose nearly three times the amount of the average person to calm him. The fire brigade then had to be called in to cut Bill out of the cell door. So now South End magistrates ordered Bill to be sent to Runwell Hospital for psychiatric examination to try to identify the cause for such terrifying behavior. Once in the hospital under evaluation, Bill was unable to recollect any of the night's events. Psychiatrists were unable to detect anything to explain Bill's behavior. They could only assume he may suffer from a mental illness known as clinical lycanthropy, in which people believe they are an animal. However, after much media coverage of the incident dubbing Bill as the werewolf of Southend or the werewolf of London, it caught the Warrens, Ed and Lorraine, it caught their attention. Now, Ed and Lorraine Warren said that they came across Bill Ramsey's story watching a television program. They ended up flying out to California to talk with the TV producers. They said, yeah, he's the real deal. So then they flew out to England to meet up with him. Now, according to Bill, he was on the verge of committing suicide because he just couldn't bear what was going on with him anymore or just the lack of control in general. And then Ed and Lorraine approached him and they told him that they thought he might be under some kind of demonic possession. Now, Bill states he thought they were crazy. He thought they were absolutely nuts. He thought it was the dumbest shit they've ever heard or he's ever heard. But he didn't know what else to do. It's either that or what? Go do more CAT scans and this and that. 
He said that wasn't helping any, so he might as well just go with them and see if it helps. So on July 28, 1989, Bill traveled to Connecticut to meet with the Warrens. He was eventually taken to Our Lady of the Rosary Chapel, in which a bishop, accompanied by the Warrens and two armed guards, conducted an exorcism. As the exorcism commenced, Bill began to turn, with witnesses and photographs clearly detailing Bill having to be physically restrained while his hands and body contorted as he growled at the bishop. When Bill eventually came around, he was exhausted and covered in sweat. However, since that day, he has never experienced any such behavior again. And that, Ghosts and Ghouls, is the story of William Bill Ramsey, the werewolf of Southend, the werewolf of London. Thank you guys for stopping in, checking us out. Thank you for listening to Lights Out Radio. Stay tuned for the next episode. Stay spooky, my friends. See you on the other side.